Hello and welcome to Living in Exile, a podcast for folks who are in the world but not of the world, and in the church but not of the church. My name is AJ Farley, and along with Amanda Hope Haley, I host this podcast. Today's episode is a very special episode, a repeat of one of the earliest test episodes that Amanda and I completed in the process of preparing to host a regular podcast. This, In this episode, in this recording, we were discussing a blog entry that Amanda had written earlier this summer, and we'll make sure that we uh, post a link to that blog on the website. But that blog entry had to do with Proverbs 31, and if you will, sort of the Proverbs 31 industrial complex that has grown up around that passage. I think most folks that that are writing blog these blogs these days are writing for themselves. Mm-hmm. If you're not writing for yourself, it it seems to me like it comes out in your writing that you're not. If if what you're writing about, if it's just a job, mm-hmm. then you know if there's no passion for your topic, then it becomes pretty obvious obvious and evident to your readers that you're mailing it in. So, and it's not like there's a shortage of things about which we can feel passionate these days. No, not at all. And it's, it's funny too, how, when I get an idea about a topic, it usually comes from maybe a little conversation that I've had along the way. And Mm -hmm. then it will be reinforced over the next few weeks. It will just keep popping up in different conversations with different people. Or, Mm -hmm. um, I, I tend to get pretty inspired before I write anything. I have a, a, lot of idea of where I'm going before I, I type anything out. So That's the, just neat. So yesterday's was uh, the, the blog that was published was on the Proverbs 31 mm-hmm. and we were talking about and it, before we started recording you said um, that notion of there it is. You're you're saying um, and I'm aware of me myself saying that notion of. But no, I like it. So I'm just going to keep saying it. Go for Deal it. Deal with it. Deal with it. <laughs> no, but that notion of of um, Proverbs 31 was never intended to be this measuring stick against which women ought to measure themselves, against which the men in their lives ought to be measuring them, or against which one woman ought to measure another woman. And it seems like that – what's the word I'm looking for? That cottage industry Mm -hmm. of Proverbs 31 measuring sticks Mm -hmm. uh, is – rampant these days and it seems like so many like you and i've talked about rachel held evans in the past i'm a fan of hers i i like kind of the the take that she has on proverbs 31 and i think it's pretty similar to some of the things that you said in the blog there's this notion of it ought not be something it ought not be a thing with which women beat themselves up exactly And and it seems like if a woman's not wired to be entrepreneurial, if she's not married, if she doesn't have children, then she is somehow less than, you know, the Proverbs 31 model. Mm -hmm. And Proverbs 31 is not a model. That's the, that's the problem that we have. Exactly. So so I feel for, of course, in my job, I work with young women. I work with middle school age girls and high school age girls. And these girls deal with so much stuff in terms of self-image issues, in terms of sexuality, in terms of uh, 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 eating disorders, and, and, and all the stuff that goes along with just being a teenager in the year 2013. And then they are 
exposed to uh, situations in, uh, or they're exposed to this kind of thinking within the church that instead of the church becoming this place of support for these kids to kind of find their way around things, now they come to the church and well-meaning people say, well, here's another way in which you are lacking, young person. Here's another way that you fail to measure our exacting standards. And this one's got the Bible behind it. This one's got God's voice behind it. And so we we as the church, we as people, we try to help out these these young ladies, but what we end up doing is putting these impossible standards in front of them. Apparently, I feel more passionately than, or I feel as passionately about this topic as you do, Amanda. I didn't realize I was doing this. Get up on my soapbox here, but th- but there's that sense of like we're doing a disservice to these to these young people, the, and 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 it, it extends on into women in their teens, in their twenties, in their forties, in their fifties, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of women who have been through divorces, who have been through infertility who've been through all this other stuff it's like holy cow we're there's a whole lot of uh pressure there's a whole lot of weight that we in the church well-meaning people within the church are applying to other people i've spoken enough about this why don't you say something about it now? <laughs> okay well I, everything you said about proverbs 31 of course i agree with with and what makes it even sadder to me is that this is happening within the church and people are People think they're doing the right thing because it's in scripture, but Mm. unfortunately their knowledge of Proverbs is so lacking that they're not only making women feel guilty about things, but they are, I mean, they're essentially becoming false teachers, which I mean is, is one of, I mean, Paul goes on and on and on about how horrible that is, you know, in the church. And well, and I know that I know you well enough to know that's not a term you just throw around. You're not gonna. Mm-mm. But but you know, if it's uh, <laughs> if it is a thing, then it ought to be named as that thing. And false teacher it kind of applies in this situation. We have we've we've set this impossible standard for folks. So. We are, and 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 we're say well even worse we're setting it but then we're going back and saying no god is the one setting it and Mm. that's not it at all Um, when women read that passage and read proverbs they should really try more to associate with the young men who are being talked to it was written for them because they were students well we are students coming to the bible as well and the reason that depiction of the Proverbs 31 woman in the end, who I identify, I and other scholars identify with uh, uh, Lady Wisdom, we as women need to read that and recognize that when this was written 3,000 years ago, that what is described there is the ideal life, really, for any man who's reading it. And so we should read that and and recognize that God is encouraging us to follow wisdom so that we will have the best possible life. Mm. And the specific examples that are given, I mean, men don't go to the gate anymore, all of that. That is not going to specifically happen in in our culture. I, I've been struck in the same way that Proverbs 31 um, tends to be a measuring stick for women. It seems like so much in Proverbs 6 
especially ends up being a, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians six. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, ends up being a measuring stick against which people are, are, are measured and found wanting as well. And, the first part of chapter 6, now to you children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right in God's eyes. This is the first commandment unto which he added a promise. Honor your father and your mother, and if you do, you will live well, long and well in this land. There's kind of that sense of, again, I, you know, I have the kids on my heart, on my mind, and so that verse becomes... Many times, me in my own life as a parent, when I am, when I have no other leg to stand on, it's like I want you to do this thing, child, that you don't want to do, and so now I'm going to tell you to obey your parents and the Lord because this is right in God's eyes. And it's not that my kids don't need to be obeying me, but it is that I ought not be using that as the the broadsword of that I sling about whenever I got nothing else meaningful to say or worthwhile to say with my kids. And it seems like the, you know, the same kinds of things. If my children verse, allow me to finish a thought here. Go for it. Verse four, (laughs) (laughs) verse four then goes on to say, fathers do not drive your children mad, but nurture them in the discipline and teaching that come from the Lord. If my kids quoted verse four to me, as a dad, as often as I quote verses one through three to them as children, um, maybe the world would probably be a better place because I, I would I would have a sense of the exasperation that comes when having someone else quote a verse of scripture to you that you ought to embrace and take hold of instead of um, the other way around where it's like I'm the enforcer of the thing. If my children were the enforcer of verse four the way that I see myself as the enforcer of verses one through three um well i don't know what it would be like but it'd probably be i would be a different person i'd be a different dad if my kids did that i might actually encourage my kids to do that whenever i tell them they need to honor me then they need to come back at me that they that i ought not exasperate them or what is the word in the in the verse it says don't jar it drive your children mad in the voice it says so um, it, as an adult child, I referenced this with my mom several months ago. We were in the car going into downtown Nashville on, on I-24, tons of traffic. And uh, one of my husband's pet peeves that I now notice is when someone gets in the left center lane and just sits there. And they're going so slowly and people are zooming around them. Well, we were going into Nashville and mom saw this. My mother's pet peeve is when people pass on the left. Um, So I knew this going into this conversation. So I complained about the person who was sitting in the lane. She said, well, you know, you shouldn't be passing on the left. And I looked at her and I said, here's the thing. That only all works together if everyone is respectful of of the... The, the social the, order. Yes, it's not a law, <laughs> but you know, it, it, if everyone is respectful of, um, I don't, just basic the habit, driving the, techniques. Exactly. Yeah, courtesy, I suppose. And uh, she didn't like that very much. And for whatever reason, these two verses popped into my head, and I said, "You know, Mom, it's kind of like you know when the kid is misbehaving." Or not when the kid is not doing maybe exactly what the parent wants. Well, and then the parent drops the hammer. Um, well, yeah. 
you know, they're not, they're not being conscious and considerate of their child too. I mean, there's, I don't know, both people have to be respectful of the other for one to work with the other. Well, and the notion of, of being respectful, it's, it's, if, if all of us looked at scripture with a view to how is it that I need to change rather than how is it that X person friend needs to change, it seems like so often we in the church, we in Christendom, we read a passage of scripture, and our first thought about that is, oh, it would be good for so-and-so to read this. I need to share this passage with him because it applies to some issue in his life right now, or it's a general I read Proverbs, I mean, excuse me, I read Ephesians 6 and the first three verses. I need to share that with all of the children in my life and that kind of thing. Well, the children need to read Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 for themselves, and they need to take the instruction from that that it provides them. I, as a dad, I need to be reading Ephesians 6, 4, and I need to not be driving my children mad. I need to not be provoking my children to wrath, the way it says in the King James. So I, I, I need to be we as people in the church we need to be people who read the scripture selfishly if you will we need to be we need to stop thinking in terms of this passage it would be great for x person in my life no this passage i need this passage and i need to take hold of what what i what truth i can wring from it as i meditate and then how that you know, and and allow it to affect me how it does. Allow, it, does that make Absolutely, sense? Absolutely, yes. I, mm-hmm. But but um, I mean, it's easier to read scripture and apply it to other people. Um, I think we talked about in Ephesians four, and I, I know you mentioned in your. Um, I, I wrote down from Sunday as Christians, we should be examining ourselves instead of other Christians, because when we're examining others, it sows discord. And I mean, yeah, um, I feel sorry. I can. That. I, as an adult child, can still read one through three and, you know, pray that, ponder on that and get something from that as well. I, I just I need to be focused more on on my own actions, but I can be selfish in that way because I don't have children. So I don't have great perspective yeah. there. <laughs> well, and in, in, in the same kind of thing as I read Proverbs 31, it's like, what must it feel like for that? For that passage to be, what must it feel like as a woman to read that passage and understand and think of that passage, as you pointed out in your blog, think of that passage the wrong way. Think of that passage as a, as a, as a standard against which I need to measure myself, because nobody likes how they feel measuring up against this standard that that scripture identifies there, or that that we mistakenly apply, uh, you know, in that. In that role, I so. mean, what's being described there is God, and none of us are ever going to have all the attributes of wisdom and and God. So mm-hmm. that's the ultimate um, standard. In in the blog, you you made reference to the, the recurring theme that appears there in Proverbs about both folly and wisdom, sort of vying for the attention of the young men of Israel, and both of them are portrayed as women. Wisdom is portrayed as uh, virtuous and and comely, and folly is portrayed as um, vixen. <laughs> lewd. Yes. The yeah, the vixen, and um, and I had never really I I had 
I had seen that comparison before, but I had never really thought of Proverbs 31 as being the culmination of that comparison and, and the illustration that, that wisdom wins out, that wisdom w- gets the guy in the end, if you will. And, and that's, a, that's a fascinating picture to me because I think about the, the picture of, of wisdom winning the man. Well, that, well then that's the, the, you know, then you get into the whole picture of marriage and the idea of, of companionship as part of that and, and how wisdom can be a lifelong companion for a young man and, and he can grow from it, develop from it, benefit from it. And wisdom, wisdom does well for women too. I'm told. I don't know very much about that sort of thing, but it's it's a I mean it's a multi layered uh, metaphor. You can look at it marriage relations between men and women and all that, but I think the original intention was to show the relationship of what it should be between Israel and we would say now Christians, um, but Israel mm-hmm. and God, and that's it's more like Christ and the church. I believe that's really what the metaphor was initially intended for, though it can be interpreted in other ways. I think women tend to get in trouble with that and with a lot of other scriptures because we come to it realizing it's all masculine pronouns and everything through there. And feminism, I think, did us a huge disservice because those women came to the Bible looking for themselves in there and were in there, but we're in there with the guys. I mean, we're being talked to just as much as the men are. And I think feminists instead go and they find any, any grasp of any conversation about a woman that they possibly can. And they elevate that as if this part of the Bible, because it's talking about a woman was written for us. And yeah, not usually. Typically, mm. if a woman comes into the narrative, she's kind of a supporting character to, well, of course she's a supporting character to what God is doing, but she's often a supporting character to you know, another man there. And mm. that I think that's, the, that's why a lot of women misinterpret Proverbs 31. They get so excited to see women talked about that they want to just claim it. And they... They don't worry about what the original intention was, you know, by the authors and the, and the Holy Spirit as it went in. Hmm. And the, you you made that point as we were talking in, in previous conversations that the idea of the context being very important for people to understand. Yes, it says something to us today, but we also need to be aware that probably what it said to the original audience that received it was very different, and we ought not be making too broad applications. Sometimes I think we we want very much to embrace something for today um, because of some oblique reference in a passage. And I think sometimes we we do a disservice to scripture because we're 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 grasping too broadly, I think sometimes. And it's we're looking to find ourselves in scripture and we're you know we're yeah we're looking for us we're looking for stories that we identify with and when you i mean i learned in archaeology when you go into the field looking for something you will find it it doesn't mean it's actually Mm. correct (laughs) and the same thing with the bible you know if you're coming in here and well in ephesians 6 if you're you know looking if if you come into ephesians 6 uh looking for uh justification for owning a slave you can go to 6-5. Well, mm. if you're reading it just without knowing the context and the way um, the way society functioned back then, 
you're going to get an incorrect interpretation. Paul didn't write that in there to justify having slaves. That was not the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, it's, it's a real world relevant um, illustration, but certainly not uh, an instruction that owning slaves should be normative for Christian practice moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not an illustration that, uh, you know, of course you would own slaves. You're, it is your right. You're entitled to that sort of thing. No, it's just like, an acknowledgement that the fact of slavery was there at the time, and that was part of that was part of life. That was part of what was happening then. So, so I, you, when you look at context, you have, have to understand what the original meaning was, and then turn around and apply it. I, I mean, I think most people will look at those verses today, understand that it's about a master and a slave, and translate that to to a similar situation that we have right now of simply going to work and the boss and the employee. It's mm-hmm. not about mm-hmm. slaves. It's it's about that relationship between two people. Uh, right. Um, so when people too literally try to apply what's in scripture, I mean, I think they often it's you often miss the point. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. We all are. Mm. So if we to make that broader point from Ephesians six five, the idea of slaves obey your I don't have the passage in front of me. Let me get it back up here. Slaves, respect and fear your earthly masters. Obey and serve them with the same sincerity of heart as you serve the anointed one. There's kind of – it's not necessarily a slave-master thing or even necessarily a an employee-employer thing, but it's like those who are subordinates and those who are in roles of authority, however that, however that thing may play itself out in whatever your particular circumstances. Absolutely. I've been struck by how frequently it seems like we lean on um, improper understandings. It, it seems it, to me as if I, in my own life, I've, I've never, I've never made the mistake from Ephesians six five about slavery <laughs> uh, that you've talked about. Thankfully, there, I've made plenty of other mistakes, but thankfully that hasn't been one of them. But it does seem like I'll. Having grown up in the church, I'll have this. Uh, I will have heard a sermon when I was very young that would say X about a particular passage, and so I accepted as gospel truth X fact about this particular passage. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a person who writes notes in my Bible frequently, and I've kind of stopped doing that as much now because now, for whatever reason, over the course of the last five years, my thinking has changed on a number of issues, and so I find myself going myself going back and looking at, at passages or notes that I've written in the margins of my Bible and thinking, drawing lines through those things now. No, and and feeling like I need to write the word idiot underneath the <laughs> stuff that I, you know, it's interesting. Ephesians actually is is fairly littered in an older Bible of mine that I have as much with corrections to previous notes as with the original notes themselves. So, so, and I think that's, that's maybe a thing that's maybe a problem that many of us who have grown up in the church deal with because particularly in the type of, of faith that I inherited, I mean, I I grew up in a, a type of church where the pastor was the central he was the man of God. So did and I. It was, and it was his, it was his uh, deal. And so that's the kind of that's the kind of church that I grew up in. And so, you know, you heard these things, and you heard them from the man of God, and you were, 
you were it was your understanding that that's how faith was to be practiced and that's how truth was to be understood and if you deviated from that thing you were suspect and um, so I find myself now many times having to go back and re-examine things that I've assumed as being like bedrock solid aspects of the faith and I'm coming to different conclusions now than I used to come and sometimes that puts me in situations where I maybe uh, it can be at odds sometimes with uh, with folks that are brothers and sisters because of because their understandings haven't changed the way that mine have over the years. So I think that's the opposite and equally true of what I just said of when you come to the Bible, you find whatever it is you're looking for. The flip of that is when you come to the Bible, it is so hard to find something that's not there because we read it into it. Um, mm-hmm. I think the classic modern example now is Mary Magdalene. I know that as a child I was, uh, oh, and this was actually very embarrassing. I was taught that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And I unfortunately did not learn better until a graduate course at Harvard. Um, in It was actually in apocryphal literature. We were reading something called the Gospel of Mary. And a question was asked about you know, why was this passage written in this way? And I raised my hand and I said, well, is it possible because, you know, she is coming from this background of prostitution. That's where it is. And the other students laughed at me. The very worst one (laughs) was this little undergrad who was in there for some reason. He was wearing a pink polo shirt and he was just stereotypical Harvard. (laughs) But he looked at me and I mean, just as condescending as you can believe. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. That is not in the Bible. And I mean, I just shrunk down and I felt so horrible. I went 22, 23 years not realizing that something was not in the Bible because I'd been told it for so long. It is interesting. I mean, boy, when we when we get some understanding that we have about Scripture challenged at its most basic level, one of the when I have the chance to speak, one of the things I feel like I need to say at the beginning of every sermon or every interaction I have with somebody, it's like, are you willing to consider that you might be wrong about something, and that you might, and that some understanding that you have might need to change? Because if if you're unwilling, then you're dismissed. I mean, you pretty much it's fine for you to go ahead and leave because you're not gonna. The only thing that's gonna happen is I'm just gonna make you mad. By saying the things that I say many times, so I similarly similarly say something along the lines of, you know, this is my understanding now. This is where I am, and this is what the God, Holy Spirit is teaching me at this time. You ask me the exact same question a year or two from now, I will probably have a drastically different answer. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. That's like me going back and drawing lines through the stuff that I write in my Bible and that kind of thing. See, I actually, I think that's instructive. And if I were you, I would take that as encouragement. I mean, that is evidence that you are growing in your faith. Well, I, I do. I, I, I'm, I'm not, when it, you know, when I say that I've gone through and, and done that sort of thing, it's not with any kind of uh, regret at all. Because I, yeah. I mean, I do have, I do have regret about having what I have come to view as mistaken understandings of things. But I also think, you know, if you don't, if you live a life that you don't have any regrets, you don't, you're not looking back. If you can't think of something over the last two years that you've said that you thought, man, I wish I hadn't said that or whatever. How much have you grown in the last two years? If that's the case, if you, if you're not looking back, we all look back at pictures that were taken of us five years ago and think, 
You know, what was I thinking wearing those sunglasses? Or, or look at my pants. What was I thinking wearing those pants? What are we wearing today <laughs> that five years from now <laughs> – I don't mean right this minute. But I mean what, <laughs> what are we wearing today that we're going to look at five years now from now and think, oh, my word. What was I – you know, what was I doing? Mm-hmm. So – yeah, we all need to we all need to be examining ourselves just like it says and we need to be we need to be coming to different conclusions. If I still believe the same thing today about X and my position hasn't changed or hasn't developed any sort of nuance or I haven't been exposed to some understanding that maybe differs from mine but is every bit as valid, then I need to get out more often. I need to I need to rub shoulders with people with whom I disagree more frequently so that we can knock the rough edges off of each other Absolutely. in the process. Absolutely. That's scriptural. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. You can find Amanda Hope Haley at her website, amandahopehaley.com, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash amandahopehaley. You can find A.J. Farley at his blog, wornoutbibles.blogspot.com, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash ajfarleyspeaks. Unless otherwise noted, scripture quotations are taken from The Voice. Copyright 2008 and 2009, Ecclesia Bible Society. Thanks for listening.